Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Talk Recorded live. Hi, Jack. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. This is Jam Radio Network. Is work a high calling? Andy said, yeah, if you're Bill Gates or Bono, if you have millions of dollars to fight disease or feed the hungry. From Andy's perspective, work was work, period, especially since company downsizing had lowered his position and pay. So this burst broadsided him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Whoa! Andy had seen those words before, but when circumstances were much different. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge. In Colossians 3, Paul lays it out. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For Andy, that reminder became a game changer. Those simple words return us all to the high calling of our daily work. Is a church or ministry allowed to restrict access to their church or ministry owned and operated campground? This is The Legal Alert with attorney David Gibbs, Jr. of the Christian Law Association. The business manager of a church contacted the Christian Law Association very concerned about whether his church would be legally required to make their small, church-owned and operated campground available to organizations whose beliefs are very different from their own. Denying access to some groups can certainly cause some hurt feelings and may lead to a lawsuit, so it is wise to get counsel before that situation occurs. In this case, the laws in their state specifically indicate that properties owned by or operated for religious groups are not places of public accommodation. Therefore, the church can legally choose who is allowed or not allowed to use their ministry property, and they can do it according to their faith. Maybe you're facing a legal issue similar to today's report on the legal alert, and maybe you wish you had a legal team to assist you. You do. The Christian Law Association is standing by with free legal support. Visit ChristianLaw.org to link up with us. That's ChristianLaw.org. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Communities improve. The path to success starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor, or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
whose genitals were like those of donkeys and whose emission was like that of horses. So you longed for the lewdness of your youth when in Egypt your bosom was caressed and your young breasts fondled. Therefore, O Holiva, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will stir up your lovers against you, those you turned away from in disgust, and I will bring them against you from every side, the Babylonians and all the Chaldeans, the men of Picard and Shoah and Koah, and all the Assyrians with them, handsome young men, all of them governors and commanders, chariot officers, and men of high rank, all mounted on horses. They will come against you with weapons, chariots, and wagons, and with a throng of people. They will take up positions against you on every side with large and small shields and with helmets. I will turn you over to them for punishment, and they will punish you according to their standards. I will direct my jealous anger against you, and they will deal with you in fury. They will cut off your noses and your ears, and those of you who are left will fall by the sword. They will take away your sons and daughters, and those of you who are left will be consumed by fire. They will also strip you of your clothes and take your fine jewelry. So I will put a stop to the lewdness and prostitution you began in Egypt. You will not look on these things with longing or remember Egypt any more. But this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am about to deliver you into the hands of those you hate, to those you turned away from in disgust. They will deal with you in hatred and take away everything you have worked for. They will leave you stark naked, and the shame of your prostitution will be exposed. Your lewdness and promiscuity have brought this on you because you lusted after the nations and defiled yourself with their idols. You have gone the way of your sister, so I will put her cup into your hand. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You will drink your sister's cup, a cup large and deep. It will bring scorn and derision, for it holds so much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, the cup of ruin and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You will drink it and drain it dry and chew on its pieces, and you will tear your breasts. I have spoken, declares the Sovereign Lord. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Since you have forgotten me and turned your back on me, you must bear the consequences of your lewdness and prostitution. The Lord said to me, Son of man, will you judge Ahola and Aholiba? Then confront them with their detestable practices, for they have committed adultery and blood is on their hands. They committed adultery with their idols, they even sacrificed their children, whom they bore to me, as food for them. They have also done this to me. At the same time, they defiled my sanctuary and desecrated my Sabbaths. On the very day they sacrificed their children to their idols, they entered my sanctuary and desecrated it. That is what they did in my house. They even sent messengers for men who came from far away, and when they arrived, you bathed yourself for them applied eye makeup and put on your jewelry. You sat on an elegant couch with a table spread before it on which you had placed the incense and olive oil that belonged to me. The noise of a carefree crowd was around her. Drunkards were brought from the desert along with men from the rabble, and they put bracelets on the wrists of the woman and her sister and beautiful crowns on their heads. 
Then I said about the one worn out by adultery, Now let them use her as a prostitute, for that is all she is. And they slept with her, as men sleep with a prostitute. So they slept with those lewd women, Ohola and Oholiba. But righteous judges will sentence them to the punishment of women who commit adultery and shed blood, because they are adulterous and blood is on their hands. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Bring a mob against them and give them over to terror and plunder. The mob will stone them and cut them down with their swords. They will kill their sons and daughters and burn down their houses. So I will put an end to lewdness in the land, that all women may take warning and not imitate you. You will suffer the penalty for your lewdness and bear the consequences of your sins of idolatry. Then you will know that I am the Sovereign Lord. Your heart to beat again. 
Morty Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. And good morning. This is the early morning gospel program. Morning inspirations on talk to and jam radio. Stop time for our morning prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning so you thank you. We'll be back at the top of the hour. Coming up next is Dr. Ed, 
Edwin L. Edwin L. Lucian. Message Christians in the courtroom. Back at the top of the hour. So stay tuned. This is Morning Spiritual on J Radio 2.1. Good morning. Some time ago, I saw a cartoon of a couple leaving the home of some friends. And as they were going to their car, the wife said to the husband, they really are nice people, aren't they? He said, yeah, they really are. Let's sue them. Well, you can just hear it all over, can't you? Let's sue them. He got the money. He didn't do the job right. Pocketed what we gave him. He thinks it's okay. Everybody else knows that it's botched up. And now he doesn't want to do anything about it. Let's sue him. A letter, I believe, that I received from someone. My dad trusted my brother to be the executor of his will because my brother's an attorney. And... My dad told me he was leaving about $300,000. My brother says I'm going to get about ten or 20000 because he says everything else is, is fees and taxes and all the rest. When I want to see the books, he's defensive. What should I do? I want to sue him. man whom I know told me that he owed a Christian organization $300,000. There's no dispute. He was not disputing that he owed that to them, but he had had a business decline, and it went belly up, and he got into some real financial trouble and was trying to figure out how he could pay off his debt, trying to work something out, when suddenly, boom, he served with papers. He's being sued. No discussion. No communication with him. Do you think you'll be able to pay? What kind of arrangement can we make? Out of the blue, he's given the papers. That was about two years before I had this talk with him, and he said, up till now, I have spent $250,000 in legal fees. They have spent about $250,000 in legal fees. That's a half million dollars. Let's remember that the dispute was over $300,000. But after a time, money doesn't even matter. I want to just make sure that you get your desserts. I want to humble you. I want to destroy you, and I don't care about the money. I just want you to get zapped. One time at O'Hare Field, I was listening to a conversation. Couldn't help it. It was on the phone, and I was on one phone, and the other guy was on the other. I can't quote it because it was filled with obscenities. But what this guy was saying is, somebody's really going to get it in this talking about a lawsuit, and I want to get to him before he gets to me, and I'm going to do unto him before he does to me, and we're going to see who's going to get this. Let's sue him. And then there's that celebrated story that got in the news about a woman who was disciplined by her church for adultery. She was not denying the adultery, but what she was saying to the church, though she was a member, what right do you have to tell me what I can and can't do? my lifestyle, sue the church. 
Why are we such a litigious nation? You've often wondered that. Well, aren't you glad that you came today because I'm going to tell you. If you don't know, you're going to learn something. What we have today is this exaltation of individual rights with a corresponding dissent and corruption of personal morals and integrity. So when you put the two together, you have a recipe for incredible lawsuits. Remember that uh, story in the news, I'm not making it up, where two children in a sandbox got into an argument and the parents went to court to settle the dispute. See, it used to be that parents could work those things out when character was important. But today, you see, without character, they cannot even settle that, and everybody's going to show everybody else what's what. In fact, did you know this? I'm not making this up. Very recently, two people were arrested because they were standing in line at a courthouse, and they were telling attorney jokes. And a young attorney got angry, and the more angry he became, the more jokes they told, and he had them arrested, handcuffed, brought in. Thankfully, the charges were dropped. But have we come to that, where you can't even tell an attorney joke? <laughs> now, I feel sorry for attorneys. By the way, we have many of them at Moody Church, and they are all honorable. And some of them tell me that the people with whom they work are some of the most honorable people in the business. So I have to feel sorry for attorneys. I have to feel sorry about the fact that 95% of them make the other 5% look bad. I mean, I've got to... I feel sorry for them. But to arrest them? You know, you notice the difference between uh, America and other countries on this point. My wife and I were in Switzerland. We took a uh, chairlift to the top of a mountain, and then we walked around there for a couple of miles. It was just gorgeous. But along the way, about 15 feet possibly from the path, there was a fence with just two wires. I mean, it was the kind of fence that any kid could crawl through. You almost didn't have to do anything just to get past it. And, and beyond that fence was a sheer cliff that must be hundreds and hundreds of feet into an abyss. Now here's the difference between other countries and ours. Let's suppose a child goes over the fence and falls over. In America, who are we going to sue? It's the fault of the park district. It's the par fault of somebody. Who owns this mountain anyway? They should, have, they should have put up a decent fence. That fence, I want to sue. You know what they say in Switzerland? Isn't it too bad that parents don't take better care of supervising their children? It's a whole different way of looking at life. But you see, what we have today, follow this carefully, is a decrease in individual responsibility and a heightened increase in personal rights. And so everybody's suing everybody else to get every last dime and every last little bit because, you see, the people of the world believe that this is the only world that there is. Well, our text today is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul is talking about lawsuits among Christians. And what he does in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is to give us a number of reasons why Christians should not go to court with other Christians in civil cases, grievances. That's my translation here in the ESV. When one of you has a grievance 
against another? Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Why shouldn't Christians sue others when it comes to these kinds of grievances? First, because of your witness to the world. What you are really saying to the people of the world is, we're Christians, but we can't resolve our disputes. We don't have any wise people in our church to be able to negotiate, to be able to mediate. Oh, no, no, no. So we have to go to secular courts, just like the rest of you, to resolve all of these issues, some of which may be great, some of which may be petty. But what we need to do is to get your wisdom, because we don't have it in the church. Paul says, wait a moment. Have you ever thought of how that makes Jesus look? It makes Jesus look bad. Remember this, the world is always trying to find out reasons why they don't need a Savior. And when we act like they do, they say, you know, these people are Christians, they attend a moody church or some other church, and look, at they are suing one another just like the people of the world. They are just like us. Paul says, don't. Do that because of your witness to the world. Secondly, he says, it shows your love of worldly values. You have absorbed into your system the values of the world. Notice what Paul says. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels how much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? That phrase is variously interpreted, but it's translated this way as I've read it. Uh, The idea is that you're going before people who are not regarded as Christians. I say this to your shame. Can it be there's no one wise enough to settle dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers, Paul says? He says it really shows that you've you've absorbed the values of the world if you go to court in these civil cases with another Christian, because after all, these cases are trivial in comparison to the ones that we are going to judge. They're trivial. That's what Paul says. You say, oh, what do you mean, $100,000? Trivial? Uh, What do you mean the guy came in here recommended by the church of all things? We should sue the church because he didn't do a good job. Paul says, hey, these cases are trivial. You say, oh, trivial? I think about them night and day. Paul says, wait a moment. You're talking like an unbeliever. Do you not know that we are going to judge the world? This is what the Bible says. Now, I'm going to read it directly because if I don't, some of you are going to say he's making it up. Jesus said this, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over all the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Jesus said, I'm going to rule over the world, and you're going to be ruling there over the world with me, and I'm going to give you assignments that have to do with authority and judication. That's big stuff. 
Paul says, you're going to rule over the world. Jesus said also in the book of Revelation, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I overcame and sat on my father's throne. Jesus said, you are going to sit on the throne with me in the coming kingdom, judging the world, judging angels, could refer to fallen angels. We may have a hand in judging the devil and his demons. If the text is referring to good angels, the holy angels, then of course we won't judge them in that sense, but we will rule over them, which is another way to interpret that word judge. But either way, what Paul is saying is there's an eternity out there with huge eternal issues. In comparison, in comparison, your petty differences, you were cheated out of money, is trivial. It's trivial. You want the whole world to stop on its axis because somebody did something to you that was hurtful and wrong, and you want justice, and you want it. Now, Paul says, wait a moment. Wait a moment. You're talking like the people of the world who want justice now because they don't believe that another world is coming. So the second reason is you've um, accepted worldly values. Thirdly, you show your lack of submission to church authority. Paul says, are there not wise people in your church who are uh, willing to arbitrate? Uh, Can't you be submissive? If there are two brothers and they're in the same church, couldn't, couldn't you take this to an elder or a wise person in the church who'd be able to arbitrate between the two of you and then you would accept the verdict? People say, oh no, I wouldn't accept the verdict because I don't know. I don't know, what if he, what if he came down on the wrong side? And of course, if he does come down on the wrong side, what you can do is, you know, you can leave the church and you can go next door because I don't like what the elders did and I can't accept their authority and so I'm out of here. There's some other church that will accept me. And yes, there is another church that will accept you. You can always find somewhere else to go to church and not use what has happened in your life and your submission for the glory of God. You can escape what God wants to do in your life. And and sometimes elders and sometimes people in the church are not infallible. They aren't infallible. Sometimes they make mistakes. But people who are under subjection say, despite the mistake, all accept their wisdom and trust God through it. So what he said is, uh, you show a lack of submission. He says, you accept defeat and not blessing. Notice in verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. What Paul is saying is for openers, the very fact that somebody in the church does something wrong to you and then will not make it right, that in itself is a defeat. But then that the person takes you to court the person whom you have wronged, he is becoming a part of that defeat. He is, he is submitting to the worldly system regarding the resolution of a conflict. And he's doing it in the wrong way. A Christian attorney said that in all the cases that he has seen, 
when a Christian goes to court with another Christian, then he does not receive blessing even if he wins the case. So you win the case, okay? You do. But at what cost and at what expense? Suffering wrong, as we shall see in a moment, is highly prized by the Apostle Paul and highly prized by Jesus. Would you not rather suffer wrong? In taking a brother to court, you participate in his guilt, assuming that he is guilty. Now, I need to talk with you very, very practically about some matters. Uh, first of all, if you are taken to court, if you are sued, you certainly have a responsibility and a right to protect yourself. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was in difficulty, he appealed to his Roman citizenship. So if someone serves you papers, you have uh, really little option except to respond. In fact, attorneys tell you, don't talk to the person who is suing you. And so they cut off brother from brother and sister from sister, and they, they simply tell you now, uh, no talking, no phone calls, no cards, nothing until this is resolved. And because you're a part of a legal system now, you have to go along with that, and you have to defend yourself. Also, I need to say that I do believe that Paul here is talking about civil cases. If you, as a woman, are married to a man and you discover that he's a pedophile and is dangerous with your children, whatever you do, don't say, well, we're just going to let it happen and suffer wrong. You have a responsibility to yourself. You have a responsibility to your children. You have a responsibility now in those matters of criminal activity where the state has an interest. And so in no way are we simply saying that you always need to accept what is happening and suffering wrong. Paul is talking about grievances that have to do with money and property issues and, and those kinds of, of uh, dealings among people. Also, if you, if you are married to someone like that, he should really be regarded as an unbeliever part of the responsibility of the church. Next message in the series is on reconciliation. And I'll explain that more clearly, that you get to a certain point in a person's life where his behavior, regardless of what he says, needs to be interpreted by fallible human beings as him being one who is not a believer in which case, it would seem to me, the Apostle Paul's uh, warnings and admonition does not directly apply if indeed such a person is an unbeliever. And uh, thankfully, thankfully, there are today Christian arbitration organizations. There are those who say that uh, what we will do is we'll provide an attorney, maybe a pastor along with the attorney, and there's such a thing as binding arbitration where two Christians who can't resolve a dispute come together, and after they've come together, uh, the case is heard and a decision is made, and in advance, both parties agree that they will accept whatever decision has been made. This surely, surely, is a much better way. And of course, the legal fees are minimal in comparison to all of the legal fees and the meandering that goes on within our judicial system. 
So we do need wisdom in the application of this text, but I need to emphasize that Paul is saying that it is better for you to suffer wrong and to be defrauded. That's the last reason why he gives why Christians should not take other Christians to court. You avoid the privilege of suffering. Now I can imagine I'm speaking to somebody who says, I can't believe what I'm hearing. The privilege of suffering. I've suffered and I don't consider myself blessed or privileged. Actually, the whole series of messages that I've preached in this series is entitled Suffering Wrong. Someone who saw the series title said, you can't be preaching that because nobody is willing to suffer wrong today. And I said, well, you never know. I'm preaching to a group of Christians. There may be those who are willing to suffer wrong. Sometimes we have no choice. Let me give you three reasons why biblically suffering wrong would be considered to be a great privilege. First of all, because you identify with Jesus. You identify with Jesus. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he uttered no threats, but kept committing himself to the Father who judges righteously. Jesus said, I'm being falsely accused. I'm being constituted and considered a great sinner. Slander is against me. Injustice is against me. The hatred of the Romans and the hatred of the Jews is against me when all that I've tried to do is to do good, but I keep entrusting myself to him that judges righteously. I'm not going to lash out. I'm not going to vaporize the people who come for me and use my awesome power to simply wipe them out and tell them what I really think of what they're doing. you imagine what you and I would do if we had the power of Jesus in a situation like that? We'd make sure that we were going to set it straight. Jesus said, I don't need to do that because I have a Father who judges righteously. So, first of all, because you identify with Jesus. Secondly, it gives God an opportunity to display his grace. It gives God an opportunity to display. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
on Jam Radio 2.1.
1910, Hades Comet passed by Earth, brushing it with its tail. Also, in the state of 1933, 1930, 1933, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed a measure creating the Tennessee Valley Authority. In 1973, Harvard law professor Archibald Cox was appointed one of the special prosecutors by U.S. Attorney General Elliot Richardson. Also on this day in 1980, the Mount St. Helens volcano in Washington, uh, Washington State, exploded, leaving 57 people dead or missing. And 10 years ago, this day, visiting one of the busiest crossing sectors between the U.S. and Mexico, President George W. Bush said in Yuma, Arizona, that it made sense to put up a fence along parts of the border, but not to block off the entire 2,000 miles length to keep immigrants from entering the U.S. legally. Said then we're talking about today. Even 10 years later, they happened. Uh, a year ago, they, um, President Barack Obama ended long-running federal transfers of some combat-style gear to local law enforcement in, in an attempt to ease tensions between police and minority communities, saying, equipment made made for the battlefield should not be a tool of American criminal justice. Today's birthday is today. Actor Bill Macy's ninety four, actress Priscilla Pointer is ninety two, Hall of Fame sportscaster Jack Whitaker is ninety two. Actor Robert Morris is 85. Actor Dwayne Hickman is 82. Baseball Hall of Famer Brooks Robinson is 79. Actress Candace Azazar is 75. Bluegrass musician Rodney Dillers of the Dillers is 74. Another Baseball Hall of Famer, Jackie Robinson, Jackie, um, Reggie Jackson, is 70. Country singer Joe Bonsell of the Oak Ridge Boys, he's 68. Rock musician Rick Wakeman of Yes is 67. Rock musician Mark Motherbrow of Devo is 66. Actor James Stevens, 65. Country singer Joe Strait is 64. Rhythm and Blues singer Butch Travers. Of the of the of the Travers is sixty three. At the Chow Chow Young Fat is sixty one. Rock musician and rock music singer musician Paige Hamilton is fifty six. Contemporary music musician Paul Gore of Mercy Me is 
55. Also, con- contemporary music singer Michael Tate is 50. Singer-actress Makita is 47. Comedian-writer Tina Fey is 46. Rapper Special Ed is 42. Rock singer Jack Johnson is 41. Country singer David Nail is 37. Rhythm Blues singer Dale Allen of Mister is 36. Actor Matt Long is 36. Actor... Alan Leach is 35. Christian Christian rock musician Kevin Hughley of Rush Rush of Fools is 34. And Christian singer Francisca Bernatelli is 31. And actor Spencer Bressel Breslin is 24. And if your birthday is today, well, happy birthday to you, and I hope you have many, many more birthdays as our music continues here on your early morning gospel program, Morning Inspirations. W Mind Block Radio. Turn it up for sound.
Moments Minute, we look at how fireflies produce their light. To make a flash, fireflies must make and mix a chemical called luciferin with an oxygen and enzyme called luciferase. This mixture is combined with a catalyst to create the flashes of light. Firefly flashes are used for finding a mate. Fireflies are able to read the light signals of other fireflies. These signals may contain several messages. Some flashes can tell a firefly whether the sender is one of his species. Light flashes are also used to identify whether the sender is a male or a female. And if it's a female, the flash can also identify whether she has already mated with another firefly. This is another example of the unlimited creativity and extravagance of our creator God. The same beauty of the firefly that creates wonder in the child should also fill us with wonder at the limitless imagination of God. For Creation Moments Minute, I'm Darren Martin.
Hi, this is Donnie McClickin, and I've got a personal note that I'd really like to drop in your spirit today. I want you to understand the blessings of God and how they're supposed to enhance our lives. Blessings are not always financial, but the Bible says in Proverbs 10 and 22, it says, The blessings of God makes us rich and adds no sorrow. This richness that it's speaking of deals with our lives being full, our lives being complete, our joy being prevalent and noticeable, us being seen as someone who profits in God. The richness of God deals with a soul that is healed, a spirit that is in touch with Jesus. Our lives being rich is having our family whole, as having our friends close, and even our enemies reconciled. Blessings of God makes us rich and will take your sorrows away. You are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Woo. I
The following is a presentation of God Questions Ministries. Is salvation by faith alone or by faith plus works? This is perhaps the most important question in all of Christian theology. This question is the cause of the Reformation, the split between the Protestant churches and the Catholic Church. This question is a key difference between biblical Christianity and most of the Christian cults. Is salvation by faith alone or by faith plus works? Am I saved just by believing in Jesus, or do I have to believe in Jesus and do certain things? The question of faith alone or faith plus works is made difficult by some hard-to-reconcile Bible passages. Compare Romans 3, verse 28, and Galatians 3, verse 24, with James 2, verse 24. Some see a difference between Paul, salvation which is by faith alone, and James, salvation which is by faith plus works. Paul dogmatically says that justification is by faith alone, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, while James appears to be saying that justification is by faith plus works. This apparent problem is answered by examining what exactly James is talking about. James is refuting the belief that a person can have faith without producing any good works, James 2, verses 17 and 18. James is emphasizing the point that genuine faith in Christ will produce a changed life and good works, James 2, verses 20 through 26. James is not saying that justification is by faith plus works, but rather that a person who is truly justified by faith will have good works in his or her life. If a person claims to be a believer but has no good works in his or her life, then he or she likely does not have genuine faith in Christ, James 2, verses 14, 20, and 26. Paul says the same thing in his writings, the good fruit believers should have in their lives is listed in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Immediately after telling us that we are saved by faith, not works, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul informs us that we are created to do good works, verse 10. Paul expects just as much of a changed life as James does. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. James and Paul do not disagree in their teaching regarding salvation. They approach the same subject from different perspectives. Paul simply emphasized that justification is by faith alone, while James put emphasis on the fact that genuine faith in Christ produces good works. God Questions Ministry seeks to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by providing biblical answers to today's questions. Online at gotquestions.org. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We've been married 38 years. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We play golf and we travel, but we also decided we were going to give to and volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. I do the nursing at the clinic. I work the front office, checking in patients, greeting them, making them feel comfortable. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places, the places that need it most and implement it best. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We even get a few blast shoes. It's incredible. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic, so we don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Every 
22nd, the child is reported missing in the United States. Of these missing children, under 45% are African-American children who are being torn from their families. There are astronomical numbers of abused, missing, and murdered African-American children that fail to get the needed exposure in the media. Hi, this is Brother Reggie, asking you to go to www.peaceintheirpods.com. It is everyone's job to save our children. This is Ann Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. How can we love one another as God has commanded? 1 John 4.16 says, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. To experience the secret to loving others, immerse yourself in a love relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'll never get over the wonder that the triune God doesn't have a working relationship or a brotherly relationship or a competitive relationship or a mandatory fellowship or an obligatory guardianship. None of those. God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit have a love relationship, a relationship that existed before time and space. Listen to me. Saturate yourself in God's Word. Read it, study it, apply it, live by it. He invites you to share in the love relationship when you do. You'll come to know God and love him, and he will love others through you. This is Ann Graham Lott. Is it decided to follow Jesus? I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Before me, the world behind me, the
Your very life. 
right, Jack, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. This is Jam Radio Network. 